Well, let's go ahead and uh, gather up. It is about that time. I'm going to pray for us, and then we will begin. Uh, Dear Father, this is the day you have made. Father, please let us rejoice. May we be glad in you. Father, use all the means of this day to strengthen us, preserve us, and to grant us a true faith in you that wills and works for your good pleasure. Do this, Father, for your glory and for our benefit and blessing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, we have been walking through some chapters of the Westminster Confession of Faith. A quick little review, we went over chapter 7 on covenant theology, talked about how there are two heads, there is Adam and there is Christ. Everyone is in covenant with a head. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. You have a head. No one lives without a head. And then we talked about Christ the mediator, how he mediates the uh, covenant of grace, that he received all the condemnation in Adam and actually fulfilled all the requirements of personal and perfect obedience and imputes it to us. We stand in his personal and perfect obedience. And that's the, how he mediates the covenant of grace. That's our head. Then we talked about the wills, right? So everyone has a will. Everyone's will is active, and it is active according to your head, right? So if you are still in Adam, you have a will under condemnation. You have a mind under condemnation, a a heart under condemnation. Oh, but if you're in Christ, you have a, you're under grace. He is conforming your will. He's transforming your will. He's making you into the image of Christ. And so you actually will both obedience, but you also have sin and you will sin and that's being sanctified out of you. And then today, we're going to talk about effectual calling. If there is a uh, point of doctrine that is uh, very poignantly reformed, it's this one. All right, so this is the one when, if you hear an Arminian and a Calvinist or a Reformed theologian kind of going back and forth, a lot of times it's confusion over this point. They're kind of talking more over each other, sadly, versus trying to wrestle with this, this, this point, right? So an Arminian might say, well, Christ receives everyone who willingly comes to him. And the Reformed theologian says, yes, <laughs> we agree. This is correct. And the uh, Arminian might say, but you, you really need to will and want Jesus. And the Reformed people say, yes, we agree. We, we haven't found any point of contention yet. We're just asking, why, why do you do that? Why? Why do you go from in Adam, willing condemnation, uh, a will that's under the wrath, a will that, like Plato, only hardens to actually being in Christ and, and, and willing for his good pleasure? Why? Why do you love Jesus? And that's, that's where that point of tension comes. Do we, 
do we love Jesus and therefore we're given the call? Or are we called and so we love Jesus? That's, that is the difference. Is our love of Christ a result of the call? Or is the call the result of our love for Jesus? And the Westminster Confession of Faith in this chapter really wants you to know that your love, your willing, your free acceptance of Christ, that you really willingly, freely come to Him, is a glorious result of that you've been called. You do not come to Jesus to become called. No, you are called into life, called into Christ. Christ is applied to you. All right, so that's, that's what we're getting at today. And when we talk about that, it's very easy to sometimes conflate calling and justification, right? It, it, it can happen, right? So we also, in the Reformed Confession, say no one is justified against their will. No, you, you willingly come. You, you really are. No one's justified while their heart is kicking and screaming, going, no, I don't want Jesus. That's, that's not how we are made just. But for you to do that, to willingly come in love, God must act upon you and call you out of Adam into Christ. And we're talking about that very word today, call. All right, so let's read Romans chapter 8 before we get into it. And we're going to be looking at verses 27 through 39. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose, so that we have a connection, those who love God, the called. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be, Christ might be, the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also give with Christ graciously give all things. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? You're saying if God calls and justifies, glorifies you, (laughs) who can condemn you? Who can do this? If this is a God work, 
a God doing, if you are a receiver of an act of God, what can this world do? This, this creation, these, these created men of dust who will return to dust, what can they do? Christ Jesus is the one who died. Not you, he did. He, he died for you. More than that, he was raised for you. And he is now at the right hand of God. And he indeed is interceding for us. Who? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No, 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 no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you feel the boldness in the statement? This is a fearless statement about us, those who are in Christ. And I think we, we mentally <clears throat> agree, but I don't, I don't think we always catch how much this is an overflow of Paul. I mean, he has these long lists. Who can do this? Who can do this? Who can, can they condemn? Can they separate? Can these trials? Can these powers? Can things now? Can things to come? Anything in all creation. Go ahead, list it, Paul says. You can't. How can Paul be so fearless and bold in this statement? It's because salvation, he lists this chain of everything God does to us. Right? So the word foreknown is not a passive word. He doesn't possess knowledge of you. The word foreknown in the Greek is an active verb, something he did to you, right? So when you're dating someone, someone might ask you, tell me, tell me about this person. And you sit back and go, well, this is how they look and think, and you're thinking about all the knowledge you've acquired. But when you become married you know one another and conceive a child. Adam knew Eve, and they conceived a child. That's that word to know. It's an active intimacy. Before the foundations, God intimated himself with you. He knew you. It's a word he did to you. Then he predestined you, another active verb he did to you, and then he called you, something he did to you, justified you, glorified you. That's how Paul can look at everything and say, who are you to condemn me? What can this world do? The Almighty is the active cause of all things. If Christ has died for me, securing this, 
What can the world do? And it's that word called that we're going to specifically talk about today. All right, so when Paul says called, and it's an active verb that God did, right? So he's doing something to you. It is not like a person calling their dog, right? So if I stand in front of a dog and go, come here, I'm calling you, come here. I'm doing that in front of the dog. And I could spend an eternity in front of the dog calling, and the dog could just look at me and be like, no. And if that happened, right, the whole life of the dog, I just stood there calling it, going, come here, come here, come here. And the dog died. No one would say, yeah, that dog was called. (laughs) No one would say, yeah, he really called that dog. No, because it just sat there making me look like a fool. What is this active call that God does on sinners? And that's what we're trying to address. And there's, there's three things we're going to talk about. The first one is the what. When I say call, what do I mean? All right, so let's read the first stanza. All those whom God hath predestined unto life, right? So he's following that chain. Those whom he predestines, he calls. All those whom God hath predestined unto life, and those only he is pleased in his appointed and accepted time effectually to call by word and spirit, out of that state of sin and death in which they are by nature unto grace and salvation, by Jesus Christ, enlightening their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God, taking away their heart of stone, giving unto them a heart of flesh, renewing their wills, and by his almighty power, determining them, meaning the wills, to that which is good, and effectually drawing them to Jesus Christ. Yet, so as they come most freely, being made willing by His grace. And it's this word, if we're going to condense it down, it's this word right here, drawing. So what is it when God calls you? He is drawing you to Jesus. You, in your call, are being drawn to him, to Jesus. And there's a process in this draw. There's something that happens. Now, here in time, it's a moment, right? It's a, there's a moment you go from death to life. There's a moment you go from in Adam to in Christ. You are not technically progressively coming more and more out of Adam. You're not 10% out of Adam, 12% out of Adam, 15%. No, it's a, it's a moment, right? When you blink, it's a moment, 
something behind the blinking is going on. There's a firing of the brain, the muscles are moving. So what we don't want to say is that there is a process you have to go through to be called, right? We can get confused about that. But there is something he is doing in the call. And it's mentioned here, and there's two things. So for you to go from in Adam to in Christ, two things have to happen. Regeneration and conversion. You really do need to change when you're in Adam. Condemnation really does need to be paid for, and the hardness of your heart does need to change. The way you think needs to change. The way you believe needs to change. It's not so simple as simply saying, well, I'm going to try this now. You're being called out of something into something. And what happens is this, these two things are not actually debated within denominations, true evangelical denominations, right? So if we sat down with an Arminian brother or sister and we said, our call needs to do those things, they would say, yes, and we would agree. But what we disagree on is which came first, regeneration or conversion, right? So here we say, let's talk about first conversion. He was pleased to draw you out of a state of sin and death in which you are by nature into grace and salvation. You are being transferred from darkness to light, death to life. There's a conversion that truly happens. In this conversion, we see repentance and faith. Why are you actually contrite over sin? Why are you not just mad that sin comes with consequences, but you're actually mad at the sin? Why do you hear the preaching of the Word and you, you actually trust it, and you inwardly go, that's true? And you, you pray, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, right? You're not fully sanctified, but you say, Lord, I really believe that. that. That's a true thing. I don't want sin, right? I am repenting. I am turning away. I don't want sin. I want Christ more than my sin, right? It was Luther that said, your whole life as a Christian is one of repentance, continually looking at sin and go, ew, <laughs> I hate it. I, I want life in Christ. I want to live as Him. Right? So repentance is turning away from sin, and faith is turning 
to Christ. This is a, a package deal in our conversion. We have been made repenters. We've been made believers. You've been drawn out into something. But in Reformed theology, we make the claim. I don't know why I got rid of the T. We make the claim regeneration is how God accomplishes conversion. We do not repent and believe to accomplish regeneration. It's actually not us accomplishing it. We need to remember that. The primary cause is God working on his bride. This is how Paul is fearless in these grand statements. Right? So this next statement is how he accomplishes conversion, enlightening their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God. He changes the mind from a hater of God to a lover of God. He changes the mind, washes it in the Spirit, so when you hear about Christ, you, you are in awe and wonder and thankful. You are now thinking rightly and therefore repenting. Thinking rightly and therefore believing. He takes away their heart of stone and giving them a heart of flesh. Right? That Plato analogy, if you just put Plato out, it naturally hardens more and more and more. Why do you come as a repenter and believer in tears? Why in your repentance do you feel like a beggar? Why in your repentance is there also the sweet assurity he really will give repentance? He will give forgiveness. Because the heart was transformed into a repenter, into a believer. This work of regeneration is creating in you a new life that believes and repents. And finally, renewing their wills. Why does sin... To you now, why, why, why do you look back on sins of your past and be like, what a fool I was. I, I, didn't, I didn't just do those sins. I liked them. Well, what about your will that's being renewed? It's being changed. Why is it that when you come to Christ as a repenter and believer, you really are doing it? Your will goes from willing death to repentance and faith. And this is the point they're trying to make. When God calls someone out of Adam into Christ, they really, he really is drawing them to conversion through regeneration. Thus, Paul can have great confidence. And that's one of the points that um, Arminian friends 
will then disagree with, that we need to first have faith and repentance in order to be regenerated. And we're going to talk about different passages here in a minute that would seem that way in Scripture. But I want to read for us Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, those who were in Adam, in which you once walked. Your will was active, right? Your spiritual death doesn't make you stagnant. makes you very active in disobedience. You were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. There goes your will. You have a master. You have a head. You're a follower. It's not Christ. You're following something else. Sorry, I lost my place. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Yes, we were carrying out true desires. It wasn't desires to please God. It was the desires of the mind, the body, and the mind, by nature, were under wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved, and you have been raised and raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, this is not of your doing. Creature of dust, this, this isn't of your doing. You who once followed Adam, this, this is not of your doing. You, you who once desired to go against the Spirit, this is not of your doing. No, it's not a result of works, so you may boast. No. This was a gift of God. We are His workmanship, craft created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. I mean, they've already been prepared and set before you that we should walk in them. Do you not hear that same boldness Paul was saying in Romans? Who can separate you? You didn't create your own spiritual life. When you came into this world, you didn't have faith. Did you create that faith? Are you able to create faith? Are you the uncreated being who makes all things? Or are you a creature who needs to receive faith? Do you not know what God's... He, he made that faith. You don't think he's going to sustain it? He's going to use it to work in you? So you willingly love and come to him? You're not going to be separated from this God. So how? All right, so now that we, we, we feel the, the weight of the what, right? This is what God does in saving sinners. 
calls them out. So how does this work? Let's read uh, number two. This effectual call is of God's free and special grace alone, not from anything at all foreseen in man who is altogether passive therein. They don't mean passive as if he was just dead and stagnant, right? He, we just saw they are willing evil, but they're passive in their becoming regenerate, right? It's a monergistic, singular causal work. You were running away, you were running in anger, you were running this way in sin, and what made you turn in contrition, turn in faith, that little causal, that's the passive work. You are a receiver, a beneficiary. Until being quickened and renewed by the Holy Spirit, he is thereby enabled to answer this call and to embrace the grace offered and conveyed in it. All right, and we're going to go back up real quick. Right, so in his appointed, all those whom God predestined unto life, those only he is pleased in his appointed and accepted time to call by word, by his word and spirit. So they, they unfortunately didn't lay this out too easy for me to kind of cut and dry. So we're going to kind of go in and out. There are what we call operations at play. There are common operations, and there are special operations, right? So to take a man or woman in Adam and to regenerate and convert, it's by the operations that are common and special. These are the operations used by the Holy Spirit to accomplish God's decrees. And he talks about by word and spirit. All right, so I want you to think about a common operation. Now, we don't mean common as in it's kind of meh, but we mean common as it's generally out there and working tangibly here and now. When we go into worship here in a little bit, Dennis will be preaching and that preaching is a common operation of the Lord. The word is heralded. It rings in our ears. We hear it, right? When we go and pray, it is a common operation by which we beseech the Holy Spirit. When we are baptized, it's a common operation. We take water and we sprinkle or pour or dip. It's, it's common. When we take the Lord's Supper, there's common elements. But what's amazing is that we are not Gnostics who say these common operations don't matter. Yet the Holy Spirit 
takes these common means, right, common means, and through the special intervening of the Holy Spirit, applies them truly and spiritually to us by word and spirit. So what, what is that when you, when you go in and you hear the preaching? What is that when you sit there and you hear someone and you're like, oh, that's, that's my sin. I've got work to do when I get home. I'm going to have to confess to my wife or husband that that needs to be dealt with. How did it go from in your ear to in your heart to actually willing it? The common operation of hearing those words and then going, ooh, that's me. I, I really do need to confess that. That's the special operation of a humble spirit of God bringing you to conviction, quickening your mind, strengthening your will, comforting your heart, active in you. Well, how about, how about your baptism? Do you think back and look on your baptism and go, that was a nice day. I got wet. Or do you think about your baptism and go, no, that was, that was a sign God wanted me to have to strengthen me that I really am united to Christ. Not that the water united me to Christ, but that's a, it's, a, it's a comfort. I'm to look at that sign and go, no, he wanted me to have this as a strengthening of my union. I've been washed. I've been renewed. That, that common sign is being signified through the Holy Spirit to the real substance of the matter. This is how God works. When we uh, spank our children, we, we bring them away from the other child. We get down on one knee. I usually grab their hands and go, do you know what we did? Yes, no. This is how we disobeyed. This, this is what we did wrong. But we have a redeemer. We have a forgiver. We have one that cleanses and renews. We're going to go to him and ask for forgiveness. And then we spank, and then I hold them and we pray, Lord, use this spanking to drive out folly. Use this spanking to grow my children into faith. The means of the spank are common but I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to take that discipline and really drive home to my little children. There are consequences for sin. I do have a Redeemer. I can go in forgiveness. And then after we spank, we celebrate. All done. All done. We're forgiven. All done. All done. We hug. We go back to the child. If they were offending someone else, we ask for forgiveness, and we say, all done. No more condemnation. No more. No, 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 we're back in fellowship. Now, that common operation, some days, doesn't look like it's working. It really doesn't. But in faith, I am trusting that the Lord will use that to slowly conform my children into the image of Christ. 
if I withheld that common operation, Scripture says I'm hating my children. We can't just fully separate common and special. We can't. But we don't want to dilute them either. And that is how Christ is accomplishing this call. And so I want to encourage parents. Here in a minute, we're going to talk about kids. You may have children who look like they're not following the Lord. There is an appointed time. And this is the last part they mention. An appointed and an appropriate time in which our good Father has decreed to apply it. Not every moment of the common and special is connected at that moment in time, right? Baptism. We don't say the moment the water goes on, the Holy Spirit is bound in that exact moment in time to apply regeneration. No, in that operation, there is a time that Christ has appointed. He applies it. He does it in his good pleasure. Same with spanking, same with prayer, same with preaching. Why is it you can look back on a uh, sermon three weeks ago and then go, oh, ooh, that just hit me. I need to do this. Why is it that if you've been praying for repentance and faith, right, for weeks and weeks and weeks, and you're struggling with a sin, and you're praying for repentance, then all of a sudden, boom, it seems to hit. It's not that they're devoid, the common and special, but we have a sovereign God. We have a faithful one. We need to trust that the time barrier between the common applied and when the special actually takes effect, it's not in our hands. And this is why we can have children growing up in the covenant, and it doesn't always look like they've had this amazing, effectual calling. Sometimes they grow slowly, incrementally. Sometimes they seem to chafe under it, and they have a big moment. Like I, I, had, um, I worked with a student in, um, uh, when I was a youth pastor, who his parents were very faithful, and I kept talking with him, met with him about weekly for a good while. And his parents were a part of my small group, and we were really praying for him because he was very clearly chafing under discipline, very clearly. No fruit of the Spirit was just being manifest. And he was in his teens. There, there should have been a tangible, it was very clear he's running in the opposite direction. So we were praying for God to call him, to really pull him out. To, to work in his life. And we prayed for years and saw nothing. And it wasn't until about his 20s, one day I went to my office and he was just there. And he said, I was at work. I was in the back kitchen cleaning and I dropped my pans and just started weeping. Just started crying. Just broke down. And it was like, it hit me. Everything that my parents have been saying, I've been hearing in sermons when we were talking, it just made sense and it was weighty and I need him. It was a, it was a clear hunger and need. It just hit. And then he started coming on Sunday nights when I was teaching 
And after a couple weeks of continually coming, he pulled me aside and said, are y'all teaching something different? When, when I was here, I don't know what you were teaching. It didn't make sense, but you must be teaching something different. And I said, no, <laughs> this is a good gift. I also had another student who did not have a big conversion story. He incrementally continued in the faith. Right, I worked with him in middle school and high school, some in college, and he continually just grew and grew very steadily. Both of them had an effectual call. They did. We shouldn't say only the dramatic stories have an effectual call. But there's a time difference that we don't control. We trust the Lord in that. And then finally, we're going to get to who. And they talk about children, people with disabilities, and then finally, people who uh, leave the church, apostatize. So number three, elect infants dying in infancy are regenerated and saved by Christ through the Spirit who worketh when and where and how he pleaseth. So also all are all other elect persons who are incapable of being outwardly by the common operations. They're incapable, incapable of being outwardly called by the ministry of the word. Again, bold statements if we think about it. Now, they're not saying, right, they, they, they make a bold statement that's pretty precise. They're talking, they don't say every single infant. Those infants who are elect. In the first stanza, it's those whom have been predestined unto life. Those elect infants, when they die in infancy, right, we, we don't see them outwardly receiving Christ. We don't outwardly see repentance and faith. Yet he says those elect infants are still saved. How can Paul say that? And this is where he really gets at this right here. If we're going to say one's conversion One's faith causes regeneration. Then we have some scary issues when it comes to both infants and people who have handicaps and are disabled. Are they causing regeneration by their faith? Is the grounds of their regeneration their personal faith? And, Paul, and the divines are saying, no. The very grounds, the basis of why anyone is regenerated, again, back to Romans 8, it's God himself. God himself regenerates. And so they're saying it is very possible that an infant could be regenerated, but has not yet physically grown to articulate this, to show forth fruit of this. We, don't, we only see visibly repentance because people cry and repent and articulate it. 
We only tangibly see faith as they walk with the Lord in obedience. And because regeneration is of the Lord, it's very possible for not only infants, but people who are handicapped, people who can't maybe profess with their mouth, people who can't fully articulate what we're talking about today. We don't want to take regeneration out of the hands of God. We don't. Because that's a glorious thing. And then finally, others not elected, although they may be called by the ministry of the word outwardly, right? They may outwardly come to church. They may partake of the table. They may be baptized. They may be at our prayer meetings. And they may have some common operations of the Spirit. They seem to be very gifted. They can really articulate doctrine. They seem to handle child-rearing really well. There's these common operations they're walking in. Yet, they never truly come unto Christ. They're, They're never truly drawn out of Adam into Christ. And therefore cannot be saved. The last thing we want to do is say it's these operations that have the final say of one's salvation, that these operations are what we trust in, right? I don't go to the table today saying it's these elements that save me. It's my partaking that saves me. It's my reverence in taking that saves me. It's my ability to remember Christ that saves me. No, it's Christ. And these elements draw my heart to him, set my mind on him, point to him. If I'm trusting in religious operations, I have no salvation. No one is justified unless they're called out of darkness into Christ. You can actually operate without regeneration. That's a scary thing. This is why we have warnings all throughout Scripture to not trust the operations. Trust Him. Trust Him who gives the operations. And then finally, much less can men not professing the Christian religion be saved in any other way whatsoever, be they never so diligent to frame their lives according to the light of nature and the laws of that religion do they profess. And to assert and to maintain that they may is very pernicious and to be detested. Right, so there's, there's two pitfalls they're wanting to show you in being called. One, coming to church and trusting in the operations. And two, never partaking of the operations. Right? So never coming to church. Never coming in discipline. Never wanting to be baptized. Never wanting to come to the Lord's table and saying, I don't need common operations. I am a Gnostic spiritual man who I can just go to my own little home and live my life the way I want to 
and that's all I need. This is also detestable. These two ways of thinking that we're called is detestable. We should trust that if God really gave us common operations for our benefit, that we need common operations for our benefit. Sinclair Ferguson said it really well. He said, the Lord's Supper is like a physical kiss that you give your bride. Go home, you men, tell your wife every day, I love you, I love you, I love you. Don't touch her, don't kiss her, don't hug her, show her no physical affection. Within moments, (laughs) a day, the wife will say, do you really still love me? And what he's getting at is we need these common operations. They don't, they don't save us in themselves, but we have a loving husband who looks at us, his bride, and goes, I want to show you tangibly. I want to meet with you in these common ways. And we as a bride are to come and to gather and to worship and to obey these operations and to live within these operations. And this is what they mean by effectual call, right? You're being drawn out into, by the work of the Spirit, through common and special operations. And then we can talk about the who uh, more specifically. Let me pray for us because we are out of time. Oh, Father, we want to say thank you that uh, we have been transferred out of darkness, into Christ. We who are in Christ are no more the old man. We are new in you by your power. And that is because you were pleased to call us, not because you saw something in us worthy to call. Oh, but you called us to sanctify us, to grow us, to mature us, that we may be presented to God in Christ, holy, spotless, and blameless. And Father, we we ask that today you would use your common operations to continue that work. Use the preaching, use the singing, use the prayers, use the law read, even the benediction, all of it, Father. Use it to our blessing so we may be more and more like your Son and hate sin and to love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.